You're listening to the AZ Wildcats podcast brought to you by DraftKings. Put down $5 on an NFL game. You win. You get back $200 in free plays. So have at it. Code word PHNX. All right. Joined now by a very special guest. Um, not really sure where to start with the introductions. Um, American hero, U of A, great. But you know what I'm going to introduce you as, Jay? Tankaverde head football coach, Jay Dobbins. How you doing, my man? That's great, Mikey. That's my favorite title. Thank you for having me and welcome to your audience. And this has got to be one of your first shows, right? Um, we've been doing it for a couple weeks now, but um, just kind of wanted to make sure I got everything good before I got a guy like Jay, Jay Bird on here. So, um, Jay, first and foremost, I get a lot of people that ask about uh, Tankaverde and what exactly is um, how this came about because, you know, everybody knows you from, you know, past endeavors. You coached at South Point. How did you become, did you always want to be the head coach of a high school? How did this all come about? You know, I had coached for uh, Coach Benet at South mm-hmm. Point for about 10 years. When he left, um, I left at the same time. The Tangaverde job was open, um, and I always was intrigued by it. I always thought that there was something there that had been missing. And so, I, you know, I wanted to see how I would do. Right. Now, you've obviously got a, a coaching staff that <laughs> – all you're a modest guy, so I will uh, I'll say it for you. Rivals probably a lot of coaching staff or college coaching staffs. Why don't you just kind of run down who you are working with? Well, you know they're really amazing. I, I am uh, outside my comfort zone as a head coach, and but those guys do a good job of taking care of me. They're they're better coaches than I am. They're smarter than I am. Um, I rely very heavily on them. Um, but, you know, it, it goes old school. My defensive coordinator's named John Williams. We've been friends, best friends since we were kids. Coached together for years at South Point. Uh, Bob Viadent is on my staff, who was my coach in high school, who came on as a consultant. Mm-hmm. Um, I've got uh, Jeff Keywell on my staff, uh, U of A, an NFL football player. David Adams, who everybody from Tucson knows who David is. Uh, Van Brandon is on our staff, who I played with at the U of A. Scooter Sprott, uh, who was a U of A football player. And kind of even more importantly, um, he won the Doherty Award when he was in high school at Blue Ridge High School, which is Arizona's Heisman Trophy. So he sets a great example for our kids that uh, you can achieve great things at a small school. Um, and then Chris Lopez is on our staff, who was a part of uh, Coach Tomey's Desert Swarm defense. So um, I'm surrounded by really good coaches. Now, Jay, um, you and I went to the same high school, um, and uh, Sean Seeley, who's already commented on here, class of '96 uh, from Saguaro. Um, how has high school, how has high school football changed in this city since when you were playing to coaching then at South Point and now being the head man at Tankaverde? I'll tell you what the biggest change has been is open enrollment. Mm-hmm. Uh, when I was a kid. You played for the high school in the neighborhood that you grew up in. And it didn't matter who was coaching there. It didn't matter if they were good or they were bad. You went and played with the kids you grew up with, with your boys. And there was no decision to be made. That's what you did. Now, man, these kids are jumping all over the place. And uh, I think the rich get richer. The powerful teams attract talented kids for all the right and understandable reasons. 
And then uh, the weaker teams end up with uh, like losing kids that can change their program. Right. Now, let me ask you this. If Jay Dobbins, and we're going to get into your college recruitment uh, because it fascinates me every time I ask you about it. But if Jay Dobbins is coming up now in the same area, in the same uh, same household, is Jay Dobbins still going to Saguaro? I am. I was very loyal to that school. Um, it was very important to me to play with my friends, to play alongside my friends. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I wouldn't have changed that. I mean, it's easy to speculate um, how I would have felt then versus now, but my heart says that I would have been at Saguaro High School with my boys. All right. So Jay Dobbins then is se- junior, senior year at Saguaro. Take us through your recruitment a little bit. Take us through your visit process because this is something, honestly, that a lot of people don't know about you as how highly you were recruited. It was uh, a pretty amazing time in my life. I was young. uh, I was immature. And uh, before the recruiting game that we know it now was in place and before the Internet and everything, a lot of it was driven by letters and phone calls. And so, um, man, I, you know, I, I had college offers and, and opportunities all over the country um, from some of the biggest named schools in the country. And uh, I ultimately, after sorting through all that, chose to attend the University of Arkansas, mainly because Lou Holtz was the coach there and I was hyper impressed with him. Mm-hmm. All right. So. Tell the story then about Lou Holtz and about what kind of necessitated you coming back to starring at the U of A. Well, you know, I loved Coach Holtz then. I love him now. I think he's uh, he, he's a brilliant coach. He has a brilliant mind uh, for football. But, you know, I was very highly recruited, and uh, we were at practice one day, and Coach Holtz was really riding one of my teammates, a good friend of mine, an offensive lineman that had missed a block. And he had him by the face mask and he said, you are the worst football player I've ever seen. And from now on, I'm calling you Alice because Alice is the biggest sissy name I can think of. And so all I wanted to do was take the heat off my friend. I just wanted to divert the uh, attention that this that my teammate was receiving And I tapped Coach Holtz on the shoulder in the middle of this tirade and said, Coach, if he's Alice, what do you call me? And he turned around and said, son, I call you a recruiting mistake. And that was, you know, that was the harsh reality of what college football was like. For sure. So you get to the U of A and you put up you put up numbers. You're an all conference caliber guy. You then. And what? So then, take us through a little bit of your time post U of A. Then, as you're trying to get into the NFL, and what you realized that that was kind of a different animal. Yeah, I was. Uh, you know, I always had dreams of playing professional football. I went to the uh, NFL Combine after my senior year, and um, I went there with the intention of impressing the scouts and coaches. So my first event at that was Al Davis was on the field, who was the uh, owner general manager of the Raiders at the time. His son owns the Raiders now, but he's Mm -hmm. like a legendary figure in professional football. And uh, I had run a few times and I went up to coach Davis and said, coach, like, how am I doing? 
And he went down his checklist and he cut to my name, Dobbins, Dobbins. Oh, here you are. You're the fastest slow guy I've seen today. So I was not going to be discouraged by that because I knew what I could do. So we're out there running around and uh, catching balls, running routes. And there was a couple guys that were my size, my stature, guys I'd never heard of. And they were amazing. Um, one guy was from Cutstown State, which I had never heard of. Another guy was from a little school in Mississippi. Never really heard of these guys. Well, it turns out the kid from Cutstown State was Andre Reed, who went and played 15 years for the Bills and what is the, one of the all-time greatest receivers in history, um, an NFL Hall of Famer. And the guy from the little school in Mississippi was Jerry Rice, who's arguably the greatest football player to ever put on a helmet and shoulder pads. So I wasn't judging myself against the most fair competition, but nonetheless, those guys were capable of doing things that no level of dedication or commitment or work was ever going to allow me to catch up to. Now, um, I you went to go play. So you come back to Arizona then. Uh, I wanted to hit on what the Sean Seeley said. You obviously didn't play for Coach Tommy. You played for Coach Smith. But back in the day when you were coming out of Saguaro, what did, was Coach Smith on campus then recruiting you? How did that go with from the local angle? It was actually uh, a big reason why I didn't go to Arizona. Um, Tony Mason recruited me okay. when I was in high school. And, and I really liked Coach Mason a lot. I loved Coach Mason. Um, but there was no secret that trouble was coming to right. Arizona. Right. And you know what? And I didn't really want to be in the middle of that. Um, as it turns out, Coach Mason leaves. I come back and play for Coach Smith. And then the teams that I was on paid the penalty and the punishment for Coach Mason's failures. Right. So it, it, it didn't matter. I, I went away to avoid it only to come back and serve it. Yes, exactly. Um, now, I want to get a little bit into kind of what you, you know, what we see right now with the Arizona coaching staff and, you know, what everything that we're going through. Uh, what a reminder again, all this is brought to you by, uh, uh, or brought to you by DraftKings. Uh, hop on code word PHNX. You put down five bucks, you get a $200 free play if you win the NFL bet. One thing that is cool about DraftKings, though, is you can bet on a lot of different things. I personally like how the Arizona defense has played all year, Jay. I think that um, I'm, I'm a big fan of how Don Brown's done. I think that the uh, under of 56 and a half is going to be a big thing that you might want to look at. And so you throw in there, you throw that in there, and it becomes pretty easy for you. Again, you know, Arizona only, Arizona only 21 and up. Gambling problem, 1-800-NEXT-STEP. New customers only. Minimum $5 deposit. $1 wager required. Eligibility restrictions apply. See DraftKings Sportsbook and put in code word PHNX and you'll be good to go. All right, Jay. This team right here that you've got with Arizona. The one thing that I keep telling people time and time and time again is you can't judge Jed Fish off of what's going on right now. You inherited a program that, you know, that let's be honest, was kind of broken. Uh, you've got alumni that hadn't been reached out to. And again, I don't want to badmouth anybody. I'm just saying that things had to be different. From an alum perspective, how has Jed Fish been for you guys before we get into, you know, what you're seeing on the field? Well, what I love about Coach Fish's staff is that 
two of my teammates from my playing days at Arizona are on his defensive staff. I played mm-hmm. with uh, Ricky Hunley and with Chuck Cecil. Uh, they were uh, obviously amazing college football players and professional football players, but they're in the, both in the College Hall of Fame. But what's even more impressive about both of them is that they were great teammates. Right. They were uh, incredible players who received massive amounts of attention. But in the locker room and amongst the boys, the way they treated players like me, players who were uh, several levels, tiers beneath them, was no different than anybody else. They were just great teammates. Right. And, I, and I'm sure that they're conveying that message and that mentality to the kids they're coaching. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now, talk a little bit about then what – you're at South Point, and I think this kind of dovetails perfectly in here. And you were there at a time where, I mean, let's be honest, in about a three- to four- or five-year window, you had guys like Jamari Joyner come through there, Bijan Robinson, Lathan Ransom, Jonah Miller, Bruno Fina. I mean, I've, I've watched high school football in this city pretty closely since the mid-'90s, and I never saw the Amphi team with all the Bateses and everything, but I don't know that there has been a level of talent that has come through. And you were right there coaching that up. You saw that every single day, Jay. I did. I, you know, I think it's a tribute to Coach Benet and mm-hmm. uh, players' desire to come and play for him, you know, based on how he coaches, how he treated his players, uh, the reputation of that school, all incredible players, all of them. Uh, the common denominator that they had of all those kids, different sizes, different styles, different positions, they all tried to outwork each other. They mm-hmm. all tried to be the hardest working kid on the field. Right. And so when you got kids like that, man, it makes it easy to coach, Mikey. <laughs> For sure. For sure. Did you now be honest here, Jay, um, because they've all succeeded. They're all great young men. Did you see Bijan Robinson having this kind of immediate impact, though, once he hit the college game at the major college level? You know, that's an interesting question. And uh, before uh, BG had left school, I was actually in a meeting with him and Tom Herman was in the meeting. And I made this statement to Bijan and I made it with with my full heart. I told Bijan, you are the kind of person that can change the world. And he looked at me kind of puzzled and Coach Herman kind of turned to me like, where are you going with this? And I said, dude, you have um, he, he has a, a massive belief and trust and spirit for God. One mm-hmm. thing. Right. Um, he's got a brilliant smile. He's got a beautiful face. He's got a charming personality. And then this amazing athletic talent is creating a platform for him that allows his word to travel farther than the rest of ours. Like what he says and the words that come out of his mouth are important. People are listening. And that's what I was talking about. I was like, BG, you are on the verge of changing the world, kid. You know what's amazing, too, when you watch him is that whenever he scores a touchdown, it's none of the, you know, the spike. And I'm not blaming anybody that spikes the football or anything. Hands the ball to the ref points up to God, hugs his teammates, and goes to the sideline. He's something that he's something that you just generally don't see come around a lot, Jay. Well, I think that's a tribute to his character. I think it's a tribute to how he was raised. Um, he's very gracious. He's very humble. He's very quick to deflect the credit that he receives onto his teammates. 
Um, and he's got an old school mentality. He's got a Barry Sanders mentality, you know, and we've heard it many times when he scores touchdowns or does amazing things. He doesn't celebrate it because he expects that of himself. He's going to do it again. And he just looks at it like this is what I'm supposed to do. Right. Okay. So Jay Dobbins is let's Jay Dobbins has his pulse on the city. You're at Arizona right now. What does it take to win at the University of Arizona the way that, you know, Larry Smith, people, you know, I always tell younger kids now that don't uh, that don't remember you we've had a very proud, very proud football program over the years. I mean, heck, you got Jim Young to uh, uh, Larry Smith to Dick Tomey. And it was all based off of hard edge, cut, you know, that never say die mentality. What do you need to win here right now? And what would Jay Dobbins' advice be? Well, I think that it's it becomes coach speak when I respond like this. It's uh, it's players, you know, like looking at it from a player's perspective and now from a coach's perspective. You can be a brilliant, brilliant coach. But if you don't have the players that can deliver your scheme and your plan to the field and execute it, no one will ever know you're brilliant. On the other hand, you could be an average coach, but if you are surrounded by massive talent, like people think that you're amazing, but it, like all of our ideas and concepts and schemes are all being delivered to the public eye by the kids that are on the grass for us. Right. Jay, to show you some of the impact that you have, I just got a message from uh, Jamari Joyner's mother, Christina, that just said, tell Jay we said hi with about 10,000 exclamation points to it. You know, I have uh, a lot of love for that family. Um, I spent some time with Jamari when he was at South Point. Um, Everyone knew from the first day that, that he was an amazing talent. And then, you know, his mom and, and her track background came out and, and was working, you know, with the kids, trying to get the fast kids faster, trying to get the slow kids fast. And like, you know, she's down there at the Vail Track Club. She knows exactly what she's doing, how to make you run fast. And uh, it was just my time with them was like nothing but great memories, nothing but smiles, nothing but like good thoughts for all of them. Absolutely. This is again brought to you by DraftKings. Throw down five bucks on an NFL game. You get 200 back if you win or as far as free plays. Everything is great there. And you know what? I like the under in the Arizona USC game of 56 and a half because I think Don Brown and the defense have been playing pretty well right there. What do you think about the defense that you've seen out there so far, Jay? Well, I think they're playing hard. I think they're playing fast. I think Coach Brown, um, it's no mystery that he wants to run an ag- aggressive game plan. Um, and, it, you know, it's just the vibe. I, you know, any team, any team, any business, any family really takes on the vibe of whoever that organization's leader is. It's just It, it just naturally occurs that way. So I just think it's going to take a little bit of time for Arizona, for their offense, to fall under the vibe of Coach Fish for that mm-hmm. defense to fall under this vibe of Coach Brown. It's just right. going to take some time. So, again, check it out. Like I said, I like the defense. Uh, put in code word PHNX and you'll be good to go. All right, Jay. Um, I wanted to get into a little bit now because, and I've loved, I've picked your, we've done three hour shows before, and I wanted to pick your brain a little bit on your life of service. 
and because uh, I know that's a big part of the story. You you graduate from uh, Saguaro High School in the U of A, and obviously the NFL didn't work out. What was the next thought? Was it always that I wanted to get into some form of law enforcement, helping others? What what went through your mind at that point? It, you know, it, it ultimately sorted its way in that direction. But Mikey, to be honest with you, when I was a young man, um, I knew more of what I didn't want to do than what I did want to do. Um, I grew up in a blue collar family. Um, we never had a whole lot. I was never interested in chasing money. I knew that I did not want to sit in an office with a uh, phone stuck on my ear and uh, crunching spreadsheets and, right. and chasing money. I knew I didn't want to do that. I wanted to have a job that when my alarm clock went off in the morning, when I put my feet on the ground, I was excited to go to work to try to help somebody, to try to make somebody's life better. And, um, you know, I, I found my way into law enforcement and, you know, it, it was my honor for 27 years to take a stand against predators on behalf of people who either couldn't or wouldn't do that for themselves. And I, and I took that very serious. Tell us a little bit then about kind of your first day. Well, basically it was your first day on the job, if I'm not mistaken. Well, actually I, I know where you're going. It was the fourth day on the job. Okay. I got hired on a Monday. Okay. Um, four days I knew later. It was the same week somewhere. Right. <laughs> you know, four days later with no training, I was uh, in a, um, uh, an enforcement situation where I ended up getting taken hostage and shot. You know, the, um, the bullet went in my back point blank. It traveled through my lung. It narrowly missed my heart. It exited my chest, you know, and after four days on the job with that mentality of taking the job for the right reasons, you know, four days later, I was bleeding to death, you know, in the dirt and grime and garbage of a trailer park to the point where it appeared like it felt like it appeared that blood was squirting out of my chest like you're holding your thumb over the end of a garden hose. And I was like, man, you know what? It's not supposed to go this way. I've only been doing this four days. This is not how it's supposed to go. Did you now, so you go to the hospital and your family's visiting you and everything. Was there any thought where, you know what, maybe this isn't for me? I know the answers to these questions, but I I feel I got to set you up right here. What What was your thought process at that point? You know, I, I think it's the my reaction and my thought process was that uh, probably of a lot of people who grew up in an athletic background, like I was not going to be beaten. I was not going to be defeated. Um, actually, I turned that event around and used it to my benefit and I used it to empower me. Um, now, um, you know, things were a little bit sketchy there for a while, but as we've had in prior conversations, I was very lucky to be treated by Dr. Richard Carmona. Um, and did he ever make anything of himself? Yeah, he kind of turned out to be a pretty good guy, didn't he? He did. Yeah, you know, so, you know, like I was uh, treated by this surgical legend, uh, like worldwide legend. Um, so everything lined up for me. I don't look at any of those things. I don't look at that event as a bad thing. It's actually maybe... Short of uh, my wife and my kids, the single greatest thing that ever happened to me was having that bullet go through my chest. 
Jay, again, one of the things that's remarkable about you is how humble you are. Um, I think this is an interesting question by Sean. Have you ever have you ever thought about making a movie, the Jay Dobbins story? Well, here's the question for Sean. Like, who would play me? We have to find someone that's, <laughs> we have to find someone that's kind of homely and not very smart. <laughs> Come on, Jay, you're better than that. But uh, no, that that's a great question. And honestly, um, you sh if people out there, if you haven't read No Angel, you should read No Angel because it really kind of takes you through what exactly Jay did. And um, before we get into, I wanted to get into a little bit of kind of the life undercover. But first and foremost, um, Jay, where is, when you started, when you started, uh, when you get out of the hospital, what exactly then was your mentality and how did you get into becoming an undercover officer at that point or an undercover that's, agent? Excuse me. Yeah, that's, that's actually how I ended up at ATF. I knew what I wanted to do. Um, I knew I wanted to at least try my hand at undercover work. Mm -hmm. I had no idea whether I'd be any good at it or not. Um, but ATF had still has the most dynamic undercover program in federal law enforcement that targets violent crime. And like everything I wanted, I found in one package. It was a hand in a glove. I wanted mm -hmm. to work undercover. This was, ATF was, if you wanted to be an undercover agent, that was the equivalent of playing shortstop for the New York Yankees in Yankee Stadium. It was the best you could go. And that's, that's what I wanted. I wanted, to, I wanted to play against the best. So was it like a, how, how does, how do you get into that? Was it a line you get into? Do you sign up? I mean, you know, how, how did you, how did you get into that? Do you try to, yeah. Uh, the people who are silly enough to raise their hand and say, this is what I want to do for a living are the ones that typically get accepted. Mm -hmm. um, most people don't, you know, undercover work is nothing more than a single tool in an investigator's toolbox. There's right. all different ways to investigate a case. Undercover work is just one. It just happens to be the most perilous because you're taking a living, breathing person and you're putting them in the middle of dangerous, violent situations. And they're surrounded by treacherous criminals. So right. the risk factor and the liability factor is enormous. But there are a handful of people that raise their hand and say, like, man, I'm built for that. When now talk to us a little bit. How did you operation Black Biscuit? How does that how does that occur? How do you uh, get tasked with infiltrating the Hell's Angels? Well, you, you know, to be honest with you, I had 15 years of undercover work, of street work under my belt before that opportunity. What kind of street? Erupted. If you don't mind me asking, what kind of street work? Like gangs or what? What was that? What was that? Mikey, I'll tell you what. You name it, and I had done it several times over. Um, mm -hmm. From from buying guns and drugs and bombs on the street to home invasions, to gang infiltrations, to murder for hire cases. Um, you know, over the course of my career, I was involved in over 500 undercover operations. So after 15 years of that, when the opportunity came up to make a run at the Hells Angels, like, like I was uh, trial tested. You know, I had been tested by fire and was ready to at least take a crack at it. Mm -hmm. Now, so how does it come about then? How do you how, how do you go about infiltrating? Well, you know, I'll tell you, I, I, I can't say that I was uh, by any means the best at it or ever even really 
may be all that great at it, but what, what I, the, the, the element of my personality that helped me through that is that I was always willing. I was always willing to try. I was always willing to raise my hand and volunteer for assignments that nobody else wanted, whether they be too difficult, impossible, too dangerous. I always was there to say, man, I'll try. I don't know if I can do it, but I'll try. And mm -hmm. so, you know, over the course of two years, that's what I did. I just did my best every day on that case, on that job. And, you know, there was days when I failed. There was days when I made mistakes. There was days when I disappointed myself. Um, and then there was also days where I achieved. How did your, so you're, you're married, you have, uh, you have children at this point. How did that all, how were you able to kind of navigate both sides of that there, Jay? I, I did a very bad job of it, to be quite honest with you, a terrible job of it. Um, I was so in love with my job that it stopped being what I did for a living and it started being who I was. Mm -hmm. And in the process, I neglected my wife. I neglected my kids. I was a terrible husband. I was a terrible father. Um, I was all in for my job. And in the end, the case concludes and you're done with your work. And then I looked back at my personal life and I looked back at my family and, and I had destroyed them. The people that loved me the most, the people that cared about me the most, my biggest cheerleaders are the people that I had treated the worst. And that's, you know, I carry a lot of shame with that and a lot of guilt with that. Um, if I had to do it over again, I'd do it different. But all I can do is try to make things right and make things better and be better going forward. Was there ever a point during this where, you know, you, you said or you start worrying about becoming one of what you were trying to take down? I think of the Donnie Brasco angle a little bit where he's almost starting to blur the line a little bit that, you know, wait a second, I'm still here to be able to take these people down. Was there ever a moment for you in that? Well, you know, I'll tell you a story which I think reflects that an answer to that question. I'd been gone for an extended amount of time on an operation. I came home and my wife confronted me and she said, you cannot be gone for months at a time and walk in this house and treat us like we are street gangsters. And then in my defense, my self-defense, I was like, I am not a light switch. I can't turn this on and off. People who treat what I do as a hobby end up dead. And then her response was, you might not be a light switch, but when you come to this house, you better install a dimmer and dial that attitude down. And if you can't, don't come back. Wow. Now, so you get it. I get this question all the time and I've had, I uh, just had a, actually two different people text this to me. So you get, you get out then of the, uh, you get out of undercover work and you get back and, you know, your house is, you know, your house is firebombed. What when you walk around during your way, because you're, 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 you're a public figure. Everybody knows Jay Dobbins. Is there, do you, do you look behind your back or do you, is it just straightforward? I mean, what is your, what's your mentality like? Yeah. Well, much less now than in the past, um, to be quite honest. I think the people that, that hated me, that intended harm on me and my family, um, 
They've probably gotten bored with me, to be quite honest with you. I don't know that they've necessarily forgotten um, because those people don't forget, but they've just found new people to hate more, mm-hmm. if, to be quite honest with you. Um, but you know what? Like, I, like, I'm not looking for a problem. I don't right. want a problem. I will walk away from a problem. I will run away from a problem if I have to. But my attitude is just like, just don't corner me and don't corner my family because, you know, I have a pistol on my hip and I have God on my side. And between the two of them, we'll figure out whatever the problem is. I would prefer to like have it go away peacefully, but we'll figure it out. Jay, first of all, you're obviously you're one of my favorite people. You've been amazing to me through the last for how you know probably the last five ten years. You're you know I Cougar I can't Pride. Say, yeah, Pride. you know how we roll. I can't thank you enough. But I wanted to ask you this: during your time undercover, and I don't know that if anybody's ever asked asked you this um, when I was doing my research last night. What did you find out about yourself? Um, you know what? What I found out about myself, I don't really like through my undercover work through that mm-hmm. and and other things what i found out is that i spent you know the, the largest portion of my life being selfish making decisions for me that were good for me that i wanted to do when i wanted to do them um and that came to me through some hardships and through some hard times and and through some difficulties which in kind of a strange way, like full cycle in our in our discussion here today is why I'm coaching. Like I'm trying to finish my life much better than I had lived it previously. I'm trying to be unselfish. I'm trying to give whatever I have, whether it be wisdom or energy or enthusiasm or whatever it might be. I'm trying to give instead of get. Mm-hmm. Now, when you go out onto the practice field each day, with your kind of enthusiasm, do you feel kind of like a little kid being able to be out there with all those guys? You know, I just told my kids this week, there's two parts of my day every day that are by far consistently my favorite parts. I wake up in the morning and I have a cup of coffee with my wife and I thoroughly enjoy that. Like there's no reason for her to be sitting there with me. She's so much better than I ever deserved. And I sit there and I realize how blessed I am to have her in my life. That's a very special part of my day. Mm -hmm. The other special part is being on the grass out there with my football team and my coaches. I, I like, I literally look at my watch 500 times a day, waiting, hoping, trying to accelerate time so I can get out there with those kids. The great thing about being here at GoPHNX is having people like Jay Dobbins coming on here. And, uh, you know, we've had guys like we've had recruits, Jim Rosborough. Um, you subscribe, check out the AZ Wildcats podcast. Um, Jay is the absolute man. I will say this, Jay. Do you like and uh, because one of our other sponsors is Manscaped. Do you like the uh, do you like the the longer beard? What does your wife like more? Does she like the longer look that you had with the shaved sides or does she like the full beard? You know what, dude? I'm not sure she's crazy about any of it. She just kind of tolerates me. Like, like your beard's looking great. You know, right. I'll tell you what, Mikey, about like, like, so this is all gray now. When I was a kid, this was blonde, right? Mm-hmm. Right. Now it's all gray. I'll tell you like what I'm learning real time that's super frustrating is that as you get older or when you get old, 
like you can be skinny and fat at the same time in all the wrong places. <laughs> for sure. For sure. And you know what? Jay and I are trying. We got our hair up here, but you always want to stay groomed down below. Manscaped's got you covered there. You go, here's get 20% off free shipping with code word PHNX at manscaped.com. That's 20% off with free shipping code word PHNX manscaped.com. Keep everything down there clean. We're in the year 2021. All right, Jay. So you got another game before we let you go. What's the rest of your season look like for you? Well, we have one regular season game left Friday and um, we're playing Catalina high school and we have our fingers crossed that we've played well enough and accumulated enough power points that on Saturday morning, when the brackets are set, we'll get in the tournament. And, and if we do, it will be the first time in the 16 year history of Tangaverde High School that a football team has been in the state playoffs. So mm -hmm. just lots of firsts. And we, like we're just, you know, go out Friday, do our best to handle our business, keep our fingers crossed for Saturday morning. And hopefully that our season is extended. Jay, I actually, I got a, another question here that I think is actually pretty interesting uh, from a friend that just tweeted this out or texted this to me. How is recruiting changed now? Um, and again, this is a way off topic from where we were going, but I wanted to kind of end with this because you've got some recruitable players on your team. You've been around guys at South Point that were recruited at the highest level. When you were being recruited as opposed to now, how has the game changed? Well, man, it's it's um, I, I, it's it's really hard. It's really hard for these kids. And, and I'll tell you how so. Well, there is so much pressure on the kids to self promote and self advertise with the use of their Twitter accounts and their Instagram and their snaps and and, and all the things that the electronic world have brought into our life. Um, these kids are like almost forced to self-promote and you, and you look at them and you look at their profiles and you, you don't see humility and graciousness and you don't see respect for their teammates. And I know it's there. I know it's there, you but you it. only have X amount of spaces to promote yourself. So it's right. always like, look at my highlights. Look at what I did this week. And, and the world has forced them into that, which I, I think it robs these kids of their ability to just go out and play, enjoy the games, enjoy their teammates, enjoy the process, because the pressure on them to advertise themselves is through the roof. Jay, I can't thank you enough. And just remind people again, what's, what's your game where they can go catch and check, uh, check Tankaverde football out? Yeah, well, uh, Tangaverde High School will be playing Catalina High School at Catalina High School on Friday night at 7 o'clock. He's Jay Dobbins. He's hopped on the AZ Wildcats podcast. Jay, I can't thank you enough. Your time means the world to me, my man. Much love, Mikey. Thank you for having me. But thanks for everybody that contributed and listened. We'll be back with you in a couple days.